Okay, well, good morning. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, an actual physical one, or on your phone or iPad or whatever, can you turn to Mark chapter 1? I'm going to read from verse 16 to verse 20. If you've been following Jesus for a while, these words might be familiar. If you're a guest, if you're just seeking God at the moment, these might be brand new. Let's see. It says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and followed him. We're going to look this morning at the call to discipleship. What does the call to discipleship actually mean? And, and I, was, um, I uh, was called to leadership when I was 16 and uh, went to university to study theology, not because I wanted to study theology, but because I was very lazy at school. And I discovered that theology was undersubscribed. So you could get into a theology course uh, you know, with two A-levels, which I just about had, uh, I also discovered if you went to university in Wales, they gave you a lower offer on your... So by the sovereign will of God, therefore, I did theology at Cardiff. And uh, I was taught at university uh, to always look at the context of a passage. So like a good student, uh, I, when I was, God gave me this passage, I thought, well, I better look at the context. And the context is the verses before. So verses 14 and 15 says this, After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Now, let's just pause there. This is really bad timing. Okay? You know, I mean, this, this week, uh, if you were an Everton fan and you went into work in Liverpool on Thursday morning, that was bad timing, wasn't it? You were probably keen to kind of, uh, not that any of you would pull a sickie, I realise none of you would ever countenance doing that, but maybe you woke up that morning as an Everton fan, like, my I'm not sure I want to go and see a whole load of Liverpool fans this morning. Well, well, this is bad timing for Jesus. John has been put in prison. And, and we know, if we read on in the story, that ultimately John will have his head cut off from prison. So if there were moments to launch a ministry, this was not it. This was not good timing. This was a time for Jesus maybe to think, oh, no, I'll just wait a little while. But of course, Jesus is operating in the timing of God. And the timing of God is perfect. The purpose of God is perfect. And you might be thinking, now is not the time for me to step out in faith. You might be thinking, I'm not the sort of person who can step out in faith. I'm not gifted enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not good at speaking, or or whatever it is. You might think, this is not the timing. But let me tell you, God's timing is perfect. And as we'll see, God doesn't need gifting. He needs obedience. Now, gifting's good. I'm glad there are gifted people around. A few years ago, I I had a knee replacement. I was very glad the surgeon was gifted rather than just available. (laughs) Yeah? You go into surgery, you don't just want to go, who's available? Fancy a go? You know, just kind of cut here, work it out as you go. Here's a YouTube clip you can watch while you're doing it. No, no, gifting is good, but in the purposes of God, availability is everything. Obedience is everything. I should not be here preaching to you. I, I'm, 
had a complicated birth. I had a complicated time in my mother's womb. I'm 51 years old. I know that would be a shock to some of you, given I look younger than Chris. But uh, <laughs> you know, I am 51. And 51 years ago, just over, I was born in the Welsh borders, just the England side of the Welsh borders. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm married to a Welsh woman, so I run the gauntlet. It's all about faith. It's about taking risks, everybody, okay? So I, I was born at home in, in a, little, a little bungalow uh, just on the Welsh borders, and uh, uh, I was born in an hour and 20 minutes. So from my mum, my mum had her lunch at one o'clock, she tells me. Yeah, sausage and chips, still my favourite dish. Why go anywhere else? Um, and, and, and then she had a contraction about quarter past one, and I was born at 20 past two. Wow. Oh, that's quick. Which was unusual, because I'd been in the womb for ten and a half months. Yeah. My mother had gone to her six-month checkup, and we told she was six months pregnant. She went to her seven-month checkup, and they said, you're six months pregnant. She said, oh, you told me that last month. They went, no, we didn't, dear. And she said, yes, you did. So they went and looked back at their notes, and went, oh, yes. I wonder what happened in that month. Well, clearly not a lot. <laughs> Clearly I thought, who wants to be born in February? <laughs> I want the sun to shine. But one of the things that happened was, um, yeah, I just kind of stopped growing in certain bits of my body. So I had a complicated birth, very quick, doctor arrived just in time. Um, but what had happened was that the kind of inside bit of my, kind of this bit of me, I realised on the outside it's perfect. <laughs> But on the inside, not so much. And so as my uh, speech developed, it didn't. So as other little children were beginning to learn to talk, I didn't seem to do that. And they thought, maybe I'm deaf. And they do all these things. But basically, it's the inside of my mouth had just not, not developed. So, so that's how I talked. Uh, and of course, my mum can understand me because mums just can, can't they? <laughs> Dad's not so much. What did he say? You know, mum knows. You know, mum just knows. And, and I went to school. And school, you know, when you're four or five and trying to find your way and you don't, you're not a good time. But of course, you don't know because you, in your head, you sound like this. But that's how I And uh, I remember... Uh, I, went to, I went to a primary school, and um, this is 1973, which I know is a long time ago. Liverpool won the FA Cup 3-0. Keegan scored twice. Um, and uh, so, so I, went, I went to the program, and it was the centenary of this school. 19, this school had been started in 1873. So 1973, the centenary of the school. And they decided to do an audio history of the school. It's a really nice idea, isn't it? And there was about 100 kids in the school. So they decided that each child would get one sentence relating to one year. So like in 1873, the school was, you know, the first stone was laid. You know. In 1927, they built the swimming pool. That kind, of, that kind of stuff. And so the head teacher at the time went away on a day's training uh, to work out how to run a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Now, I know for many of you... You just think, oh, why didn't he just press record on his iPhone? Okay? There was a time when iPhones didn't exist. Okay, let's just pause for a moment. Those dark days when you really couldn't be contacted on holiday by your boss. 
So, so he went to learn how to use this reel-to-reel, and then we were, we were sorted out into little groups of five, and we learned our sentence, and, and we went, and we sat in his, his office, and we each read our sentence, and he recorded us. So I was child number three. So he recorded us, child number one, child number two, child number three, me, child number four, child number five. And then he rewound the tape. <whistles> he didn't do it with his finger, there was a button. Okay. And then he played it. And we heard child number one, child number two, some static, child number four. And I vowed, I will never speak in public again. And I thought that was it. But God had other plans. God had other plans. Because when God grabs hold of somebody and calls them by name and fills them with the Holy Spirit, God can use you. And if you really want to, you can listen to me on the World Wide Web. If you need the sleep. See, God's timing is perfect. And Jesus knew God's timing was perfect. Jesus knew God's call for him was perfect. So even though John, his cousin, his friend, the one who had looked at him and gone, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even though he was in prison and he was going to die, Jesus knew this was the moment. Jesus knew this was the timing of God. And Jesus speaks into and steps into that opportunity. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning to step into the opportunity that God gives you. Don't worry about your gifting. Just worry about your availability and your obedience. And God will open things up, as he has done for me. I can tell you more of my story. Let's see if you ask me back. So how did Jesus know that it was his time? Well, read a little bit further back. It says this, just as Jesus was coming out of the water at his baptism, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. We know of Jesus that he was fully God, he was divine, he was preeminent, he was pre-existent. But we also know that he was fully man, he was fully human, and in his humanity he depended on the Holy Spirit. And we are called to depend on the Holy Spirit. You might think today, well, how do I know when to move forward? How do I know when to step into my call? Well, the Bible is very clear, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went into the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, listened to his Father. Jesus models life full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises life full of the Holy Spirit. He says to the disciples later in the story, he says, it's better for you that I go to the Father. What? Why? Because then the Holy Spirit can come. See, the humanity of Christ, Jesus had to be in one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, who is just like Jesus, can be anywhere or everywhere all of the time. So it's better for us, Jesus says. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus enables life full of the Holy Spirit through his resurrection, his ascension. Jesus tells the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Even though you've seen the resurrected Christ, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. 
Probably quite a good idea to live life full of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Now, how often do we move on without the Holy Spirit? So Jesus knew this was his time because the Holy Spirit led him into his moment. Friends, let's allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into our moment. Whoever you are, wherever you are. So what do we read? It says this, as Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. I love the verb to walk. In fact, if you do a study of the New Testament, you'll find one of the most popular words, verbs in the New Testament is to walk. I like walking. I don't know if you're a walker. I like, I like walking. Gwen and I like walking together. It just slows life down, doesn't it? Just to walk and to talk and to pray. We're looking for a house in, in London and I'd love to be able to walk to my office, which kind of makes it a bit tight in terms of uh, where we can buy a house. But why? Because I, because I know if I drive to the office, if I get a bus to the office, I'll just miss stuff. Jesus walked. Jesus walked with his disciples. Jesus walked. We're told in Genesis that, that the Father walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. I love that image. Yeah. On a really hot day, I know you get a couple of those a year up here in the north, but there's something about the cool of the evening where it's been a hot day and the day still holds the heat, but you just walk. In the cool of the evening, we're told that we should walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk in step with the Holy Spirit. We're told that in Matthew 5 that the pagans run after what they'll eat and what they'll wear and you know, what they'll look like. We talk about the rat race, don't we? We talk about running. We're encouraged to walk with God. It's good to walk more. It's good to slow life down and walk more. And while Jesus is on this walk, he, he looks out to see. It's called a sea. It's actually a lake, but a pretty big lake, 14 miles by 8 miles. It's a pretty big lake. They call it a sea. And he sees fishermen going about their business, and Jesus calls to them. I really like the fact that Jesus doesn't wait for the Sabbath to speak to them. Although he's met them on the Sabbath, we're told elsewhere in the story, he meets them on the Sabbath, he meets them in the synagogue, but he doesn't talk, call them when they're in the synagogue. He calls them when they're at work. And I wonder why that is. Well, I think it's one of the reasons this. I think work matters. If you have the privilege of being in work at the moment, work matters. Sometimes we kind of think, well, real Christianity is, is what those leaders do when they're called out of work into kind of working for the church. I'm not sure that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be paid by a church. It's a huge privilege. Actually, Jesus spent probably 18 years of his life working in a workshop and three years of his life preaching. And probably from the age of 12, doing an apprenticeship with his father and then running a business for 18 years. Work matters. I think one of the reasons that Jesus meets these guys in their workplace is he wants to say to them, your work matters. Yes, as we'll see, he calls these few individuals out of their workplace, but I think Jesus is in our workplace. For most of us, in most of our lives, we will work out the mission of God, not working for a church, but working in a school or a studio or a college or as a plumber or as a carpenter or as a doctor or as a dentist or as a footballer or whatever it is. We're working out in work and it matters. 
Work matters. Work is the mission field for most of us. So don't try and run away from work. Walk into work. It's your mission field. You might think, well, Simon, I hate my job. I'm really sorry. That's where Jesus has put you right now. You're thinking, gee, thanks. I wasn't looking forward to yesterday, tomorrow anyway, and now you've told me that's where Jesus wants me. Yes, it is. Certainly in the moment. At the moment. I love the fact that Jesus didn't go to the theological college of the day to find his first disciples. He went to fishermen. Went to fishermen. And as we'll see, he goes to tax collectors. Finds people in the workplace. Finds real men and women. Doesn't want academics. Although I love academics. Wants real men and women. And what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says this. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Let's spend the rest of our time looking at these, this area of call. So Jesus calls them first to relationship. Do you notice that? Come and follow me or come and be with me. Now this is a classic rabbinical call. So rabbis of the day would have a little group of students. And those students would be the academics of the day. They would be the people who are not going to go into the workshop or onto the lake to fish or to make tents or whatever it is. They would be, unfortunately this time, just, just guys. They, they would study with a rabbi and then the rabbi would choose two or three of his students. And what he would say to those students, he'd say this, you come and follow me. And, and it meant to literally, you come and live your life with me and learn everything you can from me. So this phrase is not unique to Jesus. They would have understood it, but it would have shocked them. Because they're fishermen. They haven't studied. Now they would have studied early in their lives as small boys. The average seven-year-old Jewish boy would know the first five books of the Bible by heart by the age of seven. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers... Deuteronomy, by heart. Don't know how you're getting on with your Bible study right now. They would know it by heart. But then most of them would then stop studying, and, and, but a few would study with a rabbi, thank you, and would pick up this, this relation. And then a few of those, the rabbi would say, you come and follow me. The phrase was actually, let my dust fall on you. You'll be so close that the dust from my sandals will coat you, will cover you. And so this call is a rabbinical call, but it's in the wrong place. This should be happening around the synagogue or around the temple, but it's happening on a beach to fishermen. And Jesus is calling them to relationship, first and foremost. And Jesus calls us to relationship. Jesus always worked in community. There is nothing in Scripture that suggests being a Christian on your own is a good idea. Right. It's always community. Right. Even the word church means community, ecclesia, the gathering. You don't go to church, we are church. Right. You are church, you are community. Jesus called. Jesus worked with the 120, the 72, the 12 and the 3, we're told. Jesus was created out of community. The man was created out of community. 
God is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one God, but three persons. We're told in Genesis that the Father speaks, the Spirit hovers. We're told in John chapter 1 that the Word has been with God forever and nothing was made without the Word. Creation was a community venture. The three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus works in community. Jesus calls us to community. Jesus calls us to relationship with him and with one another. I wonder how these first disciples felt. I don't know if you've ever worked very closely with somebody. Maybe you've actually worked with a member of your family. How was it? All good all the time, was it? I wonder if uh, in this call... Peter and Andrew thought, oh, it'd be nice if you called one of us. <laughs> now, maybe Peter thought, finally I'm rid of this guy. Oh no, he's been called as well. Right? We're called for relationship, friends. We're called to spend time with God. I love the way that Jesus uses the language they would understand. He doesn't say, come and do evangelism. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, come and preach the gospel. He doesn't say, come and proclaim the kingdom. Although, Jesus will say those, those things to other people. He says, come and be fishers of men. Why? Well, because they're fishermen. They know what it is to catch. They know what it is to work all night and not catch. It's useful, isn't it? You've invited your neighbour to Alpha 15 times. They've said no every time. You think, can I ask them again? Well, these guys knew what it was to ask again, to go again, to drop the nets again. So Jesus uses the language they understand. Just a little side note, in our evangelism, we need to be aware of our language. We may know what words mean, but our friends don't. We need to learn to use the right language. Jesus uses the right language. He calls them for relationship. But he doesn't just call them for relationship. He also calls them to mission. He doesn't just say, come and be with me. Do you notice that? He says, I will make you fishers of men. He calls them to do something. He's reminding them that they're not just called to be with Jesus, they're called to do the things that Jesus does. And Jesus here is echoing the first words that God said to people. Genesis 1, 26. Calls them to be with him, creates them to be with him. Says, be fruitful and multiply, multiply, rule over the earth and subdue it. In the Hebrew that literally means to care for the earth and bring the kingdom of God there. That's what it means. What's Jesus saying to these disciples? Come fishers of men, that they would become agents of the kingdom of God. We've read earlier, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus was preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule of God is at hand. Genesis 1, God says to Adam and Eve, bring the rule of God across the world. Mark 1, Jesus says to the first disciples, bring the kingdom of God, the rule of God, to the whole earth. At the end of the story, what would he say? Judea, Samaria... Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. The call is always the same. We are called for relationship. Maybe you think, why am I here? Why was I created? You're created for relationship with God. 
God doesn't need you, but he does love you. Loves to spend time with you. He wants a relationship with you. Created Adam and Eve for relationship. He wanted that relationship to be free. Therefore, he gave them choice. They made some bad choices. Which is why he brought restoration. We're created for a relationship, but we're also created for purpose. We're created for mission. We're created for missional relationship. Now the challenge is this, in my observation of my life. It might be not true of your life, maybe it's true of your friend's life, and you can help them out with this. Some of us love the first circle. Oh, we love Jesus. Oh, why do we have to have a preach? Can't we just sing worship songs? Can't we just dwell? (laughs) Can't we just soak? Oh, I love those Bethel songs. (laughs) Just like, you know, it's like, just put a warm glow in me (laughs) that I might feel all glowy. (laughs) You know, that I I can be like that sometimes. I don't need the world, I just need Jesus. Just need time. Just need to get up early and lie before the Lord. It's all about me and Jesus. It's about my relationship. Now, of course, that's true. It is all about me and Jesus. It's actually about us and Jesus. We are temples of the Holy Spirit together. Yes, we are living stones, but you build stones together to build a temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. So if I'm not careful, I get a little bit insular and individualistic with my soaking time. When I'm in this circle, I love a Christian conference, don't you? Oh! You know, those times when you queue up and run to the front of church rather than sitting at the edges. Because it's a conference. Throw in a tent and some bad weather, I'm in heaven. Just with Christians. Oh, isn't it lovely? This is what heaven will be like. I hope not. <laughs> If heaven is like Ashburnham, I'm having my money back. <laughs> hey? but, but we can love that. We can love that kind of just, just in. Just relationship. Just me and Jesus. And that, it's good. It's not the whole story. And then, of course, sometimes I just love this. Mission. Task. Let's get a flip chart out. Let's draw some lines. You know, there was, there's a hundred of us here. If we all pray for ten people, that's a thousand people being prayed for. And if all them get saved and then they all pray for ten people, that's ten thousand people being prayed for. And then we can double the church in, let's say, three months and then double again in six months. Then we can plant multi-venues across the city and we can have a Liverpool venue and an Everton venue and, of course, <laughs> an anointed Tranmere rent venue. <laughs> Yeah, and let's, let's get out there. What are we doing sitting here? What are you doing waiting on God? Get up, God, get up early. Don't pray. Go and knock on your neighbor's door because your neighbor wants to be told about Jesus at 5 a.m. That's what they're living for. It's all about mission. It's all about task. It's all about do. How many people have you spoken to about Jesus this week, this day, this hour? Not enough, Chris. Not enough. Come on. I thought you were a Christian. Do you love Jesus? When did you last tell somebody that? Personal tracts, drama in the streets, come and love Jesus. And that's good. 
I'm not sure about the drama. It's good. We, we do want the world to know that God loves them more than they could possibly know. We do want to be on mission. We do want to see people saved and added. We do want to see this church grow from 150 to 250 to 550 to 1,000. We do want a family in every street in Liverpool that loves Jesus, that anybody who lives in the city could know, go and knock on that door, you'll get prayed for and cared for and encouraged. And Gosh, do we want that. But it's not just that. See, so often we miss the middle of the phrase. Jesus said, follow me. And Jesus said, fishers of men. What did he say in the middle? I will make you. You see, where we want to be is in the middle. We want to be with Jesus on mission. Jesus has come and be with me on mission. Jesus is on mission. The Holy Spirit is on mission. Read the New Testament and see where the miracles happen. They don't happen here. Now, I'm up for a miracle on a Sunday morning, aren't you? We want to pray for healing. We want to see spiritual gifts. We want to see the prophetic. We want to see time, interpretation, discernment, mercy, help, love. We want to see all that on a Sunday morning. Amen. Because we want to learn here and be equipped here for out there. Because when you read the New Testament, people get healed when Jesus is on mission. When the disciples are on mission. The miracles happen on the edge. Because Jesus is on mission. The danger if you start stay here is you'll get left behind. Okay? You'll get left behind. Scripture says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It does not say the Holy Spirit will keep step with you. That's the reality. So if you want to spend time with Jesus, if you want to dwell, if you want to experience the presence of Christ day in and day out, well, go where Jesus is. And Jesus is in your quiet time, early in the morning or late at night. And he does meet you there, but he'll also meet you in your workplace. He'll meet you at the school gate, chatting to other mums and dads. He'll meet you at the side of the football pitch or the rugby pitch or the swimming gala. He'll meet you in the centre of town. He'll meet you between the 8th and the 10th of August in Liverpool. Because I tell you, the person who has signed up for those three days is Jesus. So if you really want to spend some time with Jesus on the 8th of August, well, I can tell you where it's going to be. It's going to be in the middle of your city. It's going to be talking to the homeless. It's going to be talking to people who need him. So if you just stay here, you'll get left behind. But if you end up just staying here, you'll get lost. Chris said earlier, and I don't don't like to correct a brother publicly, but here goes. He said you can do more with Jesus than you can without him. You can't do anything without him. I know know what you meant. Because I know what Chris believes. Jesus says without me you can do nothing. But in me you can do all things. It's not some things, if I stay here without Jesus I'll I'll see something. I might build a ministry... I might build a chart, I might even grow a church. But I'm not doing anything to do with the kingdom. 
This is where the kingdom is. It's where I'm with Jesus and I'm on mission. This is the sweet spot. This is where the fun happens. This is where the miracles happen. This is where I get transformed from one degree of glory into another. Do you know why? Because Jesus said, I'm going to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is when I'm with Jesus on mission. That's when I'm transformed. That's when I'm transformed. That's when we're transformed. That's when we discover unity. Unity, if we're just on task, is really hard, isn't it? We just get irritated because your plans aren't the same as mine. Unity, when all we do is look in, is really uncomfortable. We just get closer and closer and closer and closer until we realise we all smell a bit. (laughs) No, unity happens when we're on mission together with the Holy Spirit. It's when unity happens. That's when there's a blessing. That's when there's transformation. Jesus calls us for relationship, but to be on mission with him. That's the call. So three things we need to do. Number one, we need to look at our time. Remember we talked about walking earlier? Life works quick, doesn't it? Yeah, it was a bit archaic in 1973 when my head teacher had to have this big reel-to-reel. But life went slower. We had less stuff, but we had more time. We had less ways of communicating with one another, but we had deeper relationships. Sometimes we need to look at our time, friends. We need to look at our time and say, when are we giving time to Jesus? When are we carving out time for Jesus? The gift of social media is that now none of us can believe the lie that we haven't got time to spend with Jesus. Because if we've got time to be on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Netflix, if we can carve out time for Game of Thrones, we can carve out time for Jesus. And one of them is far better than the other. <laughs> we need to carve out time. We also need to change our perspective. We don't go on mission, we are on mission. Okay. Just pop your hand up if you're a missionary. Okay. Okay. What if if you're here and you love Jesus, you're a missionary. Okay, that's the definition of a missionary. The definition of a missionary is somebody who's on mission. If you're here and you love Jesus, by definition, you're on mission. Pop your hand up if you're a missionary. There you go. Some of you just don't like putting your hands up. I'm not putting my hand up. Just because you said I should. Talk to the prayer ministry team at the end. They'll deal with that insecurity. (laughs) We're on mission. The reason you're in that job you don't like is because there are people who work alongside you who also don't like their jobs, but they also don't know Jesus yet. And sometimes modelling Christ in a job you don't like is far more evangelistic than modelling Christ in a job you love. We can all be good Christians when we love our work and when we have a great boss and when we're well paid and when we're approved of and encouraged. We can all look like Jesus then. But it's when none of those things are true and you still look like Jesus in your workplace that your friends and colleagues go, why do you not say what we say about our boss? Why do you still turn up on time? 
Why do you still finish the task? Why do you still work late, even though you're underpaid and undervalued and discouraged? Why are you able to do that? You know, to go, well, because Colossians 3.23 says, work at all things as if for the Lord and for the glory of God. And my relationship with God means I'm going to express that relationship in my workplace. It's about changing perspective. God may not change your job for a while, but you could change your perspective about your job in a moment. Because you're on mission. And the joy is about being on mission at work is the Holy Spirit isn't just for a Sunday morning or a life group. The Holy Spirit's for tomorrow morning. The Holy Spirit's for your workplace. The Holy Spirit's for your school and your street. Because the Holy Spirit loves getting involved in mission. Friends, whoever you are, whatever your status, whether you talk like this or like you have been called for a relationship with God and for a mission with God filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen?